0: This is broadcast producer Desi Doyan. We're off today, so please enjoy this Encore broadcast recorded on November 16th, 2022.
1: My opponents made me out to be a warmonger. They said during the 2016 campaign that if he becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks. Huh? And we will have wars like you've never seen before. Okay. It will happen immediately. And yet I've gone decades Decades without a war, the first president to do it for that long a period.
2: As president, he went decades without a war. Got it.
0: Well I don't know why I came here
2: tonight? Oh, man, I got to feel something right. as incoherent as ever. i'm so scared kiss case i fall off my chair but he's back and i'm wondering how i'll get down the stairs don't turn off the show clowns to the left of me
0: us to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you
2: yes i am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York. WLPP In Rochester, New York On WRFZ Down in New Orleans On WHIV Out in Gallup, New Mexico On KNIZ Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN Fayetteville, Arkansas KPSQ In Seattle On KODX Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Intertubes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, If you are a real follower of this program, given the announcement by our disgraced former president on Tuesday night, part of which you heard at the top of the show there, my apologies, (laughs) you probably already know, if you're a real Bradcast listener, you probably already know who will be joining us as my guest today particularly following all of the hullabaloo regarding his (laughs) big announcement there on Tuesday night. Either way, you will find out soon enough. And welcome to the broadcast. Glad you could join us here. Uh, Yes, Donald Trump did uh, bigfooted his way into the still ongoing election 2022 on Tuesday night to announce his intention to run for cover I mean, for pre- the presidency, uh, my <laughs> mistake. Hi, Desi. How are Hi. you doing, Desi Doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank uh, you.
2: Yeah, sorry you had to sit through a whole uh, Donald Trump speech on Tuesday night.
0: Ugh, it yes. was a long
2: one, wasn't it? It was, uh, and
0: boring. I know.
2: Uh, anyway, yes, he's he uh, says he's running for president again, uh, and no matter how much you or I, as it turns out, uh, the vast majority of Americans really, really do not want him to do so. That, according to new polling out from Politico and Morning Consult, finding 53% of registered voters believe Donald Trump definitely should not run and 12% say he probably should not run. So that is 65% of Americans as of yesterday saying, please don't. Less than 20% of respondents said that he should definitely run while only 12% say he probably should. So, 65 no to 32 yes. Naturally, as he has done all his life, Trump takes no for yes. <laughs> oh god. A majority of Republican re- respondents, however, in the morning uh, Politico Morning Consult poll said that they wanted Trump to run. 61% of Republicans said he definitely or probably should run, with just 35% saying he shouldn't. The poll also showed that 58% of registered voters view Trump unfavorably. Just 40% view him favorably.
0: Sounds like a winning coalition. Well,
2: in case you're wondering, uh, while Joe Biden's favorability remains low... It is still better than Donald Trump's. Just FYI. We will uh, talk as little as we can about Trump's announcement and what it means with my guest momentarily, because there's actually a bunch of other stuff going on in the political fallout from the 2022 midterm elections. And yes, it still ain't over both the counting and the voting with the U.S. Senate runoff. On December 6 in the great state of Georgia. But I want to touch on something that Trump did mention in his really long and really boring announcement speech uh, over an hour at Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday that might have sounded to our listeners, at least, as if it was something substantive, when in fact... It actually was not. If you put yourself uh, through listening on Tuesday night, you may have heard Trump say this during his remarks.
1: To eliminate cheating, I will immediately demand voter ID, same-day voting, and only paper ballots. Only paper ballots.
2: Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, uh, every state already requires voter ID that he mentioned there. So voter ID, same-day voting, and only paper ballots. Every state already requires voter ID under federal law when one registers to vote. But photo ID restrictions at the polling place when voting, as longtime listeners know, Well, that's an out and out attempt at voter suppression, given the fact that some 20 to 30 million Americans simply do not have the specific, the very specific type of photo ID that uh, GOP voter ID hucksters are calling for the majority of states already require ID when voting which is fine so long as they allow for things like bank statements paycheck stubs or you know in 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 lieu of having any of those signing an affidavit under penalty of imprisonment etc but what Trump and Republicans There, one, is to decrease the types of allowable IDs. For example, in Texas, a gun license is just fine to use to vote, but a photo ID from a state-run college or university, well, that's right out. Not allowed for voting with one of those. So just so you know what that part's about, then, of course, same day voting, he references, that means no early voting, no absentee voting. So if you can't vote on Election Day because, you know, you work because it's a Tuesday or you're going to be out of town that day on Election Day or you are elderly or disabled and cannot get to the polls to vote, or let's say you have COVID because Donald Trump has become president again, and everybody gets sick. Well, uh, in that case, same-day voting means you're not allowed to vote at all. But the reason I'm playing this clip is his reference to paper ballots, which he pretends to want, and which you might think you heard you you've heard me calling for over the years. Well. Trump should be should have been more specific because what I have actually called for over many years is hand marked paper ballots. The states that Trump pretended that he won, but he actually lost in, in 2020, they all already have paper ballots. For example, everyone in Arizona votes on a hand marked paper ballot, whether it's uh, absentee, as more than 80 percent of voters do in Arizona, or if it's at the polling place, they hand mark a paper ballot. In Georgia, everyone votes on a paper ballot as well. However, at the polling place, it's a computer marked paper ballot ballot with a so-called BMD, ballot marking device, which can never be verified as accurately reflecting the intent of any voter after Election Day. So if he wanted to do away with those machines, as do I, he would have called for hand marked paper ballots. I guess he hasn't figured that out in the two years since he's been been, been pretending to have lost the, uh, the 2020 election. So if he had called for hand marked paper ballots, I would have happily joined him in that call, but he didn't because he doesn't actually know what the hell he's talking about. He's just saying words that he has heard, you know, people like the pillow guy say on the TV or something. He doesn't actually know what he's talking about. So don't get too excited. Please don't send me emails. You can. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, but please don't send me them saying, hey, Donald Trump, just like you, wants paper ballots.
0: No, because you want hand-marked paper (sighs) ballots.
2: Thank you. The only type of verifiable uh, paper ballots. All right. In the meantime, the the states that don't use hand-marked paper ballots uh, or even paper ballots at all in many cases are, yes, largely red states like Louisiana and Mississippi, though... Still, much of New Jersey does, and Delaware does. Shamefully, they force voters to use these touchscreens, like Georgia. But that is finally changing, at least in Mississippi, as far as I can tell. Heading into the election last Tuesday, some voters in Mississippi saw a new way to cast their votes at the polls, as the dispatch in Columbus, Mississippi, described it. It's a new way. Voters in Lowndes <laughs> County, I think that's how you pronounce it in Mississippi, and Octabeha County used pens to fill in bubbles next to their vote by hand on a piece of paper. If you can imagine such a thing. Shocking. Once a voter filled out their ballot, the paper explains they then inserted it into an on-site machine to confirm their vote. The machine scans the ballot, records and tabulates the votes on a flash drive, then stores the hard copies of the ballots in a locked compartment inside, which would help should a recount be necessary. Well, welcome to 2004 Lone Dees in counties Counties, Mississippi. The paper notes that in years past, voters in both counties used a 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system to cast their votes. Lone County Circuit Clerk Teresa Barksdale said overall the new system with hand-marked paper ballots and a counting machine was much easier to use for her and the poll workers and she's heard nothing but good things from those who voted. That, after years of so many of us calling for Mississippi to dump their 100% unverifiable touchscreens in favor of, yes, hand-marked paper ballots, but get nothing but pushback over all of those years from state Republicans who run the state. Quote, I've heard nothing but good comments, Barkdale said. <laughs> They loved the paper ballots because you have a paper trail. People like to see that on paper. They put it into a machine, but that serves as a counter, which is strictly what the machine does. Everybody likes that paper trail, she said. Go figure. Octobaya County Circuit Clerk uh, Tony Rook agreed and said that voters have responded positively to the new change there as well. Quote, In general, the paper ballots work extremely well for us, and we have received very positive feedback, Rook said. They are very efficient, increase voter confidence, and help ensure a secure election. You know, I have long said that uh, some of, you know, especially in some of these GOP-run states, that they would never actually get rid of their touchscreens until a Republican got screwed by them. And I think I was almost right. I I guess I should have said that they would never get rid of their touchscreens until a Republican pretended to have gotten screwed by them. Either way, however we got here, (laughs) I'll take it. Uh, This year was the first election to use paper ballots in those counties, says the dispatch, and according to a new state law that passed in April of this year... All counties in Mississippi must officially move to using paper ballots. Hopefully, that means hand marked paper ballots, but I don't know. I haven't gotten to check that law there. But they must move to paper ballots by January 1, 2024. Yes, in time for the next presidential election. Barksdale also said the systems are more cost effective. Imagine that, since we've been trying to tell them that for, I don't know, about 20 years now. Coincidentally, the dispatch reports the machines used in elections prior had difficult upkeep because there was trouble finding parts as they had been in use for roughly 20 years.
0: Oh, my God. The operating system on that. 20 years old?
2: Yeah. Maybe wow. Windows
0: 95.
2: Uh, she also said uh, that the new machines were faster. Her workers brought her the uh, USB drives from each of the computer optical scan machines at the polling polling place roughly an hour early than they used to. Quote, they love it. We hope the public appreciates us going to paper ballots and we hope everybody is is as excited about it as we are. Well, I know I am. Uh, Ms. Barksdale, uh, congratulations to the voters of Mississippi and welcome back to the future. Speaking of back to the future, uh, Donald Trump is a presidential candidate again, and Heather Digby Parton joins us momentarily to talk about it and about the uncivil war now breaking out between Republicans So sad in both the U.S. House and Senate. Pop up that popcorn. That's straight ahead on today's Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Uncivil war, uncivil war. How long must we fight this uncivil
2: war? I don't know, but if it's a war between Republicans, I'll take it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The battles over who will lead Republicans in the House and Senate next year began to take shape this week amid continuing infighting and finger-pointing in the wake of the party's weak performance in this year's midterms. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy prevailed in his bid to be his party's candidate for Speaker of the House come January, but without nearly enough votes right now to assure that he can actually be elected when the full House votes next year, given the tiny margin of what is likely to be the GOP majority in the lower chamber. In Tuesday's vote of House Republicans... Kevin McCarthy got 188 votes, with 31 going to insurrectionist fan Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona, who described January 6th as a, quote, normal tourist visit. But as Laura Clausen of Daily Coast notes, in January, McCarthy will need to get 218 votes to become speaker, which means some of his members can use their votes to extract promises from him. Others are flatly rejecting the possibility of voting for McCarthy at all. To believe that Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker, you have to believe he's going to get votes in the next 6 weeks that he couldn't get in 6 years, snarked Florida's Congressman Matt Gates. 188 is a long way from 218, said Gates's fellow far-right Freedom Caucus member. That would be the xenophobic, anti-science, anti-LGBTQ 2020 election liar Congressman Bob Good of Virginia, who, like Matt Gates, also managed to win re-election this year somehow. Gates even turned on his own former bestie Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia for cutting some sort of secret deal, apparently with Kevin McCarthy to win her vote in the uh, caucus election, as he noted on the Pillow Guys streaming TV channel on Monday. So i think there were strategic decisions that were wrong i think those strategic decisions illuminate a lack of trust and whatever kevin has promised marjorie taylor green i guarantee you this at the first opportunity he will zap her faster than you could say jewish space laser and i wish that wasn't the case but it is the conduct and it is the pattern and practice of kevin mccarthy over years that that showcase this. Oh, someone popped the popcorn. The other big GOP leadership battle this week came in the Senate after Florida Senator Rick Scott announced that he would challenge minority leader Mitch McConnell. As both Scott and Donald Trump have been blaming McConnell for the GOP's failure to flip even one Senate seat from blue to red this year and even losing a uh, previous uh, Republican seat in Pennsylvania to Democrat John Fetterman, who defeated Trump's candidate, Dr. Oz. That after Rick Scott, as chair of the Republicans' Senate campaign committee, had released A promise to voters that if Republicans were granted a majority this year, they would put both Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block, perhaps the most unpopular campaign promise one could possibly come up with. Scott's challenge was very unusual. As uh, Clausen notes at Deli Coast, this was the first contested race for the leadership of either party in the U.S. Senate since 1996, where McConnell has been leader of the Republicans without challenge since 2007. And it came with a clear attack on McConnell's strategy, as Scott explained in a written statement announcing his run. Quote, voters are begging us to tell them what we will do when we are in charge. That is clearly not working and it's time for bold change. Of course, Rick Scott did tell voters what Republicans would do when they were in charge and voters soundly rejected that plan along with the Looney Tunes candidates that Donald Trump endorsed to run as Senate nominees, all, all of whom lost, at least so far in the Senate. The Georgia runoff for U.S. Senate is on December six. Quote, if you liked Republicans losing Senate campaigns while saddling the party with tax increases and Medicare cuts, then you're going to love Rick Scott's campaign for leader. A McConnell advisor responded to Scott in a statement quote If you're going to make this about assessing blame for losing an election, I don't know how the NRSC National Republican Senate Committee chairman gets off the hook, said Senate uh, Senator Kevin Kramer, a McConnell supporter. There was finger-pointing at the leader, one senator told The Washington Post. There was finger-pointing at the NRSC. There was finger-pointing at Trump. There was finger-pointing at the candidates who had gone too far to the right and denied elections in the primaries. There was a lot of finger-pointing going on, that senator told the The Post. For his part, Mitch McConnell, in response to a question from reporters about all of this on Tuesday, offered, frankly... One of the straightest, most sober, and seemingly most honest remarks that I think I have ever heard from Mitch McConnell.
0: One of the criticisms from Senator Scott and others who agree with him is that your decision not to have an agenda to run on opened up Republican candidates to attacks that they didn't really stand for anything. What is your response to the criticism that you are partially responsible? Uh, every
1: one of our candidates knew what they were for, uh, expressed it quite clearly. Uh, It's pretty obvious, and all of you have been writing about it, uh, what happened. We underperformed among independents and moderates because their impression of many of the people in our party in leadership roles is that they're engulfed in chaos, negativity, uh, excessive uh, attacks, and it it frightened uh, independent. And moderate Republican voters, and we saw that, which is why you all recall I never predicted a red wave. We never saw that in any of our polling in the states that we were counting on uh, to win. There was no wave. We had national issue set that was favorable, but as a result of our own, uh, the perception many of them had that we were not dealing with issues in a responsible way and we were spending too much time on negativity and uh, attacks and chaos, they were frightened. And so they pulled back. Uh, We in two states, for example, excuse me, in two states, for example, got just crushed by independent voters, Arizona and New Hampshire. So we learned some lessons about this, and I think the lesson's pretty clear. Senate races are different. Candidate quality, you recall I said in August, is important. And in most of our states, we met that test, and a few of them we did not. <laughs> Just a few of them. On
2: Wednesday, as the Republican Cong- conference held their leadership vote in the Senate, Mitch McConnell handily defeated Rick Scott by a vote of 37 to 10. That vote, unlike the House Speaker vote, will be final for now, given that it's a vote for minority leader among the minority caucus only, since no matter what happens in Georgia on December 6th, in the runoff between Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and Trump-backed delusionist Herschel Walker, Democrats will continue to hold the Senate majority next year with Chuck Schumer as Senate Majority Leader. As chaos played out on Tuesday afternoon among Republicans in Congress down in Florida. Meanwhile, speaking to a packed room full of convicted criminals and other gangsters like Roger Stone down at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump kicked off campaign 2024 with a super-spreader event at the club where he had hidden and may still be hiding thousands of pages of highly classified documents which he stole from the White House upon leaving office in 2021. Nonetheless, the still unindicted, disgraced former president, who attempted but failed to steal the 2020 presidential election and inspired a deadly insurrection as one of his final failed attempts to to remain in office by force, officially filed to become a candidate on Tuesday and spoke for more than an hour to supporters at his Florida beach club that night. That, even as, perhaps especially as, he faces the very real possibility of both federal and state indictments for his attempt to steal the last election that he lost in 2020, as his company is also currently on trial as we speak in New York, as it faces a $250 million lawsuit for committing bank tax and insurance fraud, allegedly, and he is personally being criminally investigated by the U.S. Department of Justice on evidence of having violated the Espionage Act, the Presidential Records Act, and obstruction of justice in this theft of documents from the White House. His announcement came just one day after he defied a lawful subpoena from Congress to testify about his role in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which a bipartisan majority in the U.S. Senate found him guilty of inciting following his second impeachment trial as president. Who wouldn't want him to become President of the United States again? Joining us... Once again today, as she has for pretty much every notable moment, if that's the right word, in the uh, corrupt and chaotic and cataclysmic candidacy and presidency of the most destructive man to ever hold the office by far. Yes, she was here with us the very day he came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower. On June 6, 2015, if memory serves, to declare his initial candidacy and to call Mexicans rapists and stuff. Yes, it's our old friend known simply as Digby at her long-running hullabaloo blog and as Heather Digby Parton at Salon.com, where she is an award-winning and regular columnist and where this morning she described Trump's event as... At Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday night as, quote, one of the most predictable moves in American political history and his announcement as the America First Vengeance Tour 2024. Sounds about right. Oh, Heather, welcome back, my friend, to the show that never ends. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, with you here, uh, you know, I'm sort of having a bit of a deja vu today, I got to say. Not necessarily the good kind either, Heather. (laughs) Not your fault. But let's let's sort of set Trump aside for a moment. So to not let him bigfoot everything else today on our show, at least, which sort of seemed the whole purpose of his announcement. Let's talk first about the still ongoing 2022 elections, which seem to have been a disaster for the Republican Party. Before we get to what all of this pretends for the uh, GOP leadership in the House and the Senate, your thoughts on the red wave uh, we haven't talked to since the election. The red wave uh, that we have been suggesting for months and months would never actually come. It didn't, but it was, as I see it, a remarkably good performance by Democrats last week on both the federal and state level. Your sort of top line thoughts on uh, the midterms.
3: Well, I absolutely agree with you it was a, It was a great showing by the Democrats and you know the the I think we talked about this um, the, the The polls were showing pretty consistently that this election was going to be close, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, the conventional wisdom meant that it was going to be a huge. Republican sweep and I never really understood that. Mm-hmm. Just it was made on, you know, the assumption that they were hidden Trump voters and that you know, that the the polls always skew, you know, toward Democrats so they had to weight them in some other way. But the truth was is that the numbers were were it was pretty obvious that they that their election was close. Yep. Having said that, the Democrats were the ones who really pushed it, mm. um, and and actually ended up getting out their vote and ended up voting, particularly in the places where it was so important. You know, they obviously put a lot of energy and a lot of resources into into beating mm-hmm. back the you know the anti Democratic. Uh, potentially, you know, republic-destroying yeah. uh, types that would in, in in the states. Not it wasn't just the high-profile races where right. that happened, but it happened down ballot mm-hmm. in the states. And so that was uh, that's how I look at it: is that the Democrats really performed? You know, the the polls suggested it could have gone either way, and the Democrats just pushed it hard in their direction. And thank God, uh, and, wh- and they ended up you know, winning. Well, and that's
2: one thing I've sort of been going back and forth on over the past week, uh, even longer than that. You know, this, this terrible coverage Uh, and and terribly misleading and inaccurate coverage by the corporate media, echoing the GOP line that a red tsunami was coming, that Democrats, you're right, did pick up and sort of make their own. But, you know, I have been wondering uh, for the past week or so, did that actually end up hurting Democrats by depressing the vote, as people say when, you know, the poll numbers are bad, that depresses the vote? Or did it actually help them by scaring the hell out of the electorate?
3: Well, you know, the two parties definitely take different views of that. Karl Rove and his his ilk, you know, Mm -hmm. the Republican consultancy, they all believe in the bandwagon effect, where they believe if you say you're winning, that everybody wants to be on the winning team. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Democrats believe, oh, my God, you know, you need to say the sky is falling to get your people out. And I'm not sure either one necessarily uh, applies. In this Mm case... I think it might have hurt the Democrats to do it because in places like like uh California and new York, mm-hmm. where there were there were house seats that actually you know could have flipped, and may still in California mm-hmm. we're not done here yet mm-hmm. um but you know that that those those houses those seats that that could have been in democratic hands, it may have been that that kind of you know debbie downer sort of world view kept some of those people home because in those states, you know, the other big issues, abortion and probably the, uh, you know, the anti-democratic forces to overturn elections, they weren't in play. So that may have ended up, you know, hurting them. You know, that's
2: just a guess. And, you know, I wasn't also surprised at all that the red wave never came. Uh, and I was disappointed, if not surprised, by a number of apparent losses, particularly in the Senate races in Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin. But I noted on yesterday's program, there were, in fact, two races in particular that actually did surprise me. Specifically, Democrat Katie Hobbs, her win as governor over the very Trumpy election liar Kerry Lake in Arizona. Uh, which was also incredibly satisfying for some reason. Also, um, (laughs) Democratic Senator Catherine uh, uh, Cortez Masto, her win over Republican Adam Laxalt for Senate in Nevada, where it really did look as though uh, Senate Democrats would see at least one loss of a Senate seat this year. Did anything one way or another surprise you from last week's results?
3: Um, I was a little surprised, to be honest, that that Tim Ryan didn't do a little better in mm-hmm. Ohio. I had thought that 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 race seemed to be one of those. I mean, it's not as if there are no Democrats in Ohio. Sherrod Brown is the senator from Ohio, yeah. and he's a populist kind of kind of lefty guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Ryan was in that mold. And J.D. Vance is such a horrible candidate, yeah. and is going to be such a grotesque senator. That I really thought that maybe at the very least I thought it would be closer. So mm-hmm. that's that's a big surprise for me. Not that I necessarily assumed he was going. Brian would win, but I thought he was making a real race of it, and it just didn't it didn't work out that way.
2: I, I'm actually still surprised that Herschel Walker.
3: Oh my God! Has
2: <laughs> how how did he do nearly as well as he did running against really an excellent candidate in in Raphael Warnock, and again he defeated. Uh, 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 Warnock defeated Walker, by, but only by about one point. It was just shy of enough votes to uh, avoid a runoff in Georgia on December 6th. Do you have any sense of whether Democrats, uh, you know, already securing at least a 50-50 majority in the U.S. Senate, you know, with Kamala Harris breaking the being the tie-breaking vote, w- will that help or hurt Democrats or Republican turnout in the runoff next month?
3: I think it's more likely that it'll hurt Republicans, because I think there was a sense up until now that maybe, you know, yeah, Herschel, he's a complete, you know, total disaster, but Mm -hmm. at least he'll give McConnell the the gavel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not on the table anymore. So I think that there may be people who just go, you know what, I can't vote for that guy. Because there's <laughs> evidence that there were people in Georgia, despite the fact that Herschel came ridiculously close. Yes. That, um, But there is evidence, because if you look at the comparison between him and uh, and Kemp, the governor, uh, who won by a large margin, he mm-hmm. like 58% or something, um, that there were people who spl- who split their ticket or just left that blank. So, you know, I suspect that it will help the
1: Democrats,
2: at least on the margin, I hope. I hope so. Well, I know. We will see. I'm worried that everybody stops watching that at all. Um, But we'll see. Not uh, receiving nearly enough attention, Heather, I think, is the fact that Democrats also picked up legislative majorities in Michigan, in both the House and Senate, in Minnesota, maybe New, uh, New Hampshire, and critically Pennsylvania, some of which you know, is, is due to independent redistricting commissions in some of those states, leveling the playing field for the first time in a long time. And look what happens. Of course, all of the election liars who are running for Secretary of State in battleground states, all of them lost bigly. Are you resting at least a bit easier uh, when it comes to the GOP's ability to steal the 2024 election uh, in, uh, now in a way that they were not organized to do when Trump wanted them to do it in 2020?
3: Uh, I do rest a bit easier. That was a very, very scary prospect of, the, of of voting in some of those people, like the Secretary of State up there in Michigan that was mm-hmm. running. I mean, just some really, really far-right extremists who you know were obviously... I mean, they were revolutionary, <laughs> mm. um, but we still have a problem, and that is the Supreme Court's going to decide a, a case this term uh, that will you know, yep. open the door for this independent legislature uh, doctrine to, to take hold. And all it will take is one state. Yep. Um, to actually do this in this closely divided electorate, as we've seen, and this election just you know validated it once again mm-hmm. that this is a very very polarized country and uh, politically, and we um, you know this we could face this again in 2024. Luckily, there won't be a whole bunch of states, but there still could be some, and depending on what the Supreme Court does, um, they could feel. Uh, you know, kind of energized uh, by that ruling and decide maybe to put, try to put it into play. So I
2: was feeling better for about 30 seconds, and Sorry. you had to come along. Sorry. Ruin it all. <laughs> uh, so what What does all of this mean, uh, Heather, in, in the House and Senate when it comes to the leadership battles we're seeing? Presuming, as appears likely, uh, you know, d- but despite Trump lying about it in his mar-a-lago announcement on tuesday it has not yet actually been called by media as of airtime today presumably republicans will win a very thin majority in the u.s house will kevin mccarthy be able to secure enough votes to become the speaker and if not then what
3: (laughs) well i have no idea about the then what because nobody has any idea of who that might be um, so, I mean McCarthy 's going to be vigorously whipping <laughs> votes mm-hmm. over the next couple of months until until they actually make the vote for the for the speaker. He has to get every Demo- he has to get every republican yeah. any dream that anyone might have that he could secure any votes of Democrats after what he 's done is completely out of the question. So I don't know. He's making deals. He's clearly making deals. You alluded to it in your opening uh, about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm-hmm. They had a long, secretive meeting. It's pretty clear to me what that was about. He said to her, "Don't worry. We will investigate the living hell out of Donald Trump, out of Joe Biden. Mm. We're going to do that. We're going to take it on. You're going to be you know, on the committees that you want." And so I think he's cut a deal with her. Hmm. But, you know, she's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of them that are going to have to be dealt with. Yeah, and Matt, this is Matt, going to happen over and over again. It's not just going to be on this vote. It's going to be on every vote. So good luck, Kev. Have fun. <laughs> yeah,
2: Matt Gates did not seem like he was uh, wanting to play along with Kevin no. McCarthy. So He hasn't
3: made his deal yet. Let's just put it
2: that way. Now, I, I don't want to make your head explode here, uh, Heather, in an otherwise uh, rare good week, but uh, Steve Schmidt, the former Republican, Republican strategist, John McCain's former campaign manager, uh, now an ardent never-Trumper. He tweeted this week, quote, The House Democrats and a handful of Republicans could make Liz Cheney the Speaker of the House. <laughs> they should do it, he said. Your thoughts on that, Heather? I, no. No? <laughs> what?
3: What? You know, it's better than Kevin, of course. And, you know, well, what, what, but I can't imagine what, you know... I mean is Liz going to be be a great speaker that can, you know, actually make the house function? I I don't know that anybody can be to be perfectly honest. I mean, Nancy Pelosi may be the only person who could and she's not going to be able to and she's not the the speaker and that's not going to happen. But I you know, I just think this is going to be a, a three-ring circus no matter <laughs> who Is in there now? The idea of putting someone outside the house Mm -hmm. into the speaker's role—it is possible. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, that there's nothing in the rules that says that the speaker has to be a member of Congress. But that—that even seems outrageous, you know, outlandish for by today's standards. Um, But you know, hey, anything could happen. (laughs) Donald Trump became president, so you know, anything can happen. And I just think this is going—I think people need to recognize that we're about to see something. That we've never really seen before. Um, we've seen, you know, little little previews of it with John Boehner dealing with the Tea Party and Paul Ryan dealing with the up and coming, you know, D- Trump MAGA faction. Mm-hmm. It, That's all, but they've been building this for a long time, and now it's going to come to fruition with this very tiny majority that that McCarthy will have. I mean, it could be as little as one or two seats. Yep. I mean that makes every person in <laughs> every person in the in the Congress a you know a potential kingmaker you know decider on any number of things and that's just crazy time so and you know I just I mean maybe the Democrats I I can't think of I mean they asked Henry Cuellar the very conservative Democrat mm. to join the Republicans to switch parties and he said no which I thought was quite interesting and uh, you know who knows who's being talked to among these people these republicans in New York and California i mean maybe there's one or two these margins were very narrow and when you're in a district where you only won by a thousand votes or you only won by 500 it's tempting you know because you could probably win either party right under those circumstances so you know, you've got a moderate district, clearly, if that's the situation.
2: But he so, would, if there is a one or two or three vote margin, that does mean as much as it's going to make life hell for whoever ends up becoming the uh, presumably Republican House speaker. Um, it also means that he or she has to get the votes of all of those people shy of, you know, one or two, whatever that margin right. is. Right. In order to become speaker. I mean, could we start that? We, uh, it seems to me we could be starting off this uh, next term in utter chaos as Republicans are unable to even choose a speaker.
3: It's entirely possible that <laughs> that's going to happen. <laughs> well, they, and, and, you know, look, it's their own fault. They have created an absolutely insane caucus filled with lunatics. And now you know they're having to pay the piper on this. This is this is what happens when you when you embolden people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who will be op, you know she'll be operating as a as a shadow speaker, and it's going to be her. She's the one who will be she's the one. She's got a national following. She was all over the place in these campaigns uh in twenty twenty two. And she is going to be shadow speaker. She can't win because there are enough people there who kind of going, no, no, you're not gonna be the face of the party, but she is a very going to be a very, very powerful force. And just think about that. Marjorie Taylor Green.
2: I, <laughs> I would <laughs> a ra-
3: powerful force. Yes. Oh I, my god.
2: I would rather not think about that. <laughs> but thank you for the advice. Um, okay. The nation's top fugitive from justice That would be uh, Donald J. Trump announced his 2024 candidacy, yeah, uh, at one of the uh, many scenes of his many crimes, this one at Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday night. Uh, You were here on this show, Heather Digby-Barton, the day that he announced his his first candidacy back in 2015 and correctly called it that day as a very serious concern at a moment when everyone else in the media saw it as a complete and utter joke, Heather, so... Uh, With that in mind, should we be concerned this time around as well about his 2024 run?
3: Of course. I mean, yes, we should be concerned. Maybe more concerned than we were back then because we didn't know what we would be dealing with necessarily. I mean, you and I talked about it, and you agreed. I think the two of us were among the only two people I knew who who actually took that. And I think Mark Halperin. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> really? was also
3: one who took it seriously. Really? But especially everybody else okay. was laughing themselves yeah. silly over it. Yeah, And, you know, we were sitting there going, well, wait a minute, you know, let's think about this. These Republicans, you know, look at what he said. I mean, are we really sure that he's not going to, uh, that, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's not going to do well with these people? I mean, we just watched the Tea Party mm-hmm. sort of, you know, come out of nowhere. So, yep. yeah, it was always possible that that would happen and now i think i i I don't see any reason to believe i mean yes the republican establishment is upset that they lost Mm -hmm. and they're casting about for people to blame and trump is you know at the top of the list but apparently so is mitch mcconnell so is kevin mccarthy they're all talking looking at people you know doing the whole circular firing squad Mm -hmm. meanwhile we don't know yet what the people the and certainly what the trump cult is thinking. And he's up there, you know, while, while everyone's rolling their eyes at him, you know, that was it was a terrible speech. And I agree that it was terrible. It was, you know, basically soporific. It was just oh, it was so you know, long. So him, boring. Oh, just, yeah, it was so boring. And he was very low energy and the crowd was low energy. It was terrible. But we don't know that his people saw it that way. Mm. They said, you know, there are plenty of people I'm seeing today. This was a statesman-like speech. It was, you know, this was this was a man who cares about the future. Who will, you know, he is the greatest freedom fighter of his generation. I mean, people are saying this kind of stuff. And to me, I mean, it's always struck me as ridiculous. But that's what that's how they see him. So I wouldn't write him off at all. He has a core group of right-wing, very, very fervent followers. And I see very little evidence that that following is dropping away. They might, but I don't see any evidence of it yet. And that is veto power over everything. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to concede gracefully if he doesn't win the nomination and everybody knows it
2: oh you don't think
3: well who, you know who, call me crazy <laughs> i just have a feeling
2: well and actually <laughs> that that sort of gets me to uh my next question that i i we may be you know talking about for some time i i suspect on this program and in this country but uh first the, the question is who would be easier for democrats to beat in 2024 uh donald trump or Ron DeSantis? And uh, be careful with your answer because it's actually a a trick question. (laughs)
3: Um, You know what? I don't actually know. And the reason that I say that, I mean, my my instinct says that Trump should be easier to beat Uh because we beat him before, right? Right. I mean, it only makes sense that the guy has, you know, has shown himself, you know, what what his limit is, Mm -hmm. and he's not very good at winning elections. Um, And I don't know what, you know, I don't know DeSantis well enough yet, and Mm. we haven't seen him tested Mm -hmm. in any way on the national stage or really even know what he's like. I find him kind of unpleasant and surly mm-hmm. and he doesn't have that sense of excitement and fun that Trump seems to have for his people. Mm-hmm. He's just nasty and surly.
0: Mm, right.
3: <laughs> so, you know, he doesn't have the rest of that package that makes it fun for people to go and dance to YMCA. Right. The, which was, the which, by so, the way,
2: was also what was m- one of the things I thought was missing at Mar-a-Lago. It was just, it was just, like you said, it was long, yeah. it was boring. You know, he he didn't call Mexican rapists, as far as I could tell. I, it just was not, uh, didn't have that spark, that old spark that uh, interested everyone back in 2015.
3: No, uh, it didn't. And it also, you know, for someone who was supposedly doing a, what did they call it, a professional buttoned-up speech. Yes. It was a pretty awful speech. <laughs> I mean, just as a speech, if he was going to do that, like a State of the Union or something. Right. You would think, you know, where he doesn't go off into his, you know, usual rally rant. Um, you would have thought that they'd put together a, a better speech, and that he would have, you know, made some effort to deliver it with a little bit of energy. He's obviously very, and I, what this is my theory about why he was so, you know, down mm-hmm. was because he knows that the 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 main argument that he has been, you know, making for the last two years and wanted to make for the next two years was that the election was stolen from him, and he has. Learned, and I don't know if this is going to stick, but he learned in the last week that maybe that isn't a real uh, winning message.
0: Right. So he
3: feels, you know, it's, it's a very deep psychic need for him to have people believe that he actually won that election. Mm-hmm. He just, he, I think he falls apart psychologically at the idea of losing so that's really hard for him to do and mm. I felt like that was where he was last night in the speech but you know as as we watch this as we watch this go on you know we'll have to see I mean elections come and go and people forget about it so who knows in, in a month whether or not anybody cares about the midterms
2: well the reason exactly and the reason I was asking the reason I said it's a sort of a trick question as far as who's going to be easier to beat in 2024 Trump or DeSantis is because well it does seem like Trump would be easier to beat if he was the candidate, but if he uh, loses the primary, he's not going to go away. He's going to no. be DeSantis's worst enemy if something <laughs> like that happens. He may be Democrats' best friend in the bargain, and he could run as an independent and yep. threatened to destroy any chance of the GOP winning. Doesn't that mean, in one sense, they kind of have to go with him, the lesser of the two candidates? Uh, because, you know, nice candidate you got there. I hate to see something undermine him <laughs> on Election Day.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think that the odds are very, very strong that he is going to, to be the nominee, and lar- largely because of the dynamics that you're talking about and also you know one of the main reasons that we all know that he that he wanted to announce was because he finds he thinks it's going to be some protection from some of this these legal problems that he's facing he's got a whole boatload of them and and that you know he he'll use that as an excuse i mean there is no protection there, not not really if if he really thinks that there's something real there he's, he's wrong but nonetheless, it does call into question, what what will the party do if he gets indicted? Because after the Mar-a-Lago search, we know what happened. They all raced to defend him, mm-hmm. and even including DeSantis. Never, this is a travesty, you know, they're weaponizing the Department of Justice, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I mean, that would be maybe at the death blow if they didn't do that and said, well, it really looks like he, you know, he did it this time. Um I, s- I don't think they will do that. No. I think they'll rush to his defense, yep. and that will give him, you know, he'll, he'll be the martyr that gives him all the more, you know, the the more, uh, you know, support among his, his uh, you know,
0: grievance-addicted
3: mm-hmm. following. So, you know, I, it, it's a very, very complicated dynamic in the Republican Party, and I think at the end of the day, it's more likely than not that he will be the nominee, whether we like it or not. And that's just terrifying. It it, it really is. But, you know, it's terrifying either way. The whole party's gone nuts. So (laughs) I don't care who it is that's at the top. They're going to be horrible.
2: Well, uh, thanks for terrifying us all, as you always (laughs) do, Heather Digby Parton. By the way, I hope to have uh, more time on that whole idea of whether his, you know, candidacy, declaring his candidacy now somehow offers him any protection against the Mm -hmm. many criminal investigations uh, at both the state and federal level uh on uh, with my guest on tomorrow's show. But so thank you for setting that up nicely, Heather Digby Part <laughs> My pleasure. You can find her work as ever at salon.com, also at digby'sblog.net and on the twitters as long as the twitters are still there at digby56. Heather, always great speaking with you. I look forward to the next time. Sir. Anytime. Ma'am. Thanks for having me.
3: <laughs> thank
2: you. <laughs> Okay, quick break and we're back with do we have time for yes. some viewer mail? Yay. No, listener yes, mail. This is a radio show. <laughs> That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
2: Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast.
1: We get letters. Uh-huh. We get stacks and stacks
2: of letters. Yes, we do. Welcome back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Stacks and stacks of letters to uh my email, Bradcast at Bradblog.com, one from Steve P. Subject election coverage. Brad, hope you and Desi are doing well. Right, Steve, I wanted to thank you for the great election coverage. I also appreciate the steer to Tom Bonier. And Simon Rosenberg, listening to the three of you and Desi, Aww. kept my blood pressure within specs. I stopped listening to two of my podcasts because they were talking red wave and I couldn't understand why, except the mainstream media was puking that out constantly. Anyway, congrats on the thoughtful, accurate coverage. I appreciate the uh, solid source, writes Steve P.
0: Well, thank you, Steve. Thank glad you that indeed. it worked for you and that it helped.
2: From our friend Fester 2, who I do not know if it is a woman or a man, uh, subject Florida. This follows the uh, Hurricane Nicole, the second hurricane to slam Florida in the past month. Fester 2 writes, uh, quote, if doing the same thing over and over again with the same results is insanity, Florida Is the classic paradigm (laughs) rebuilding in the same coastal areas again and again, relying on astronomical amounts of federal money while year after year rebuilding costs get prohibitively higher and higher by the federal government dumping billions of dollars into Florida, not only for hurricanes, but the continued rebuilding of the beaches after regular occurring storm events. This disincentivizes Florida. From looking for better alternatives, this rebuilding the beaches has been going on that I am aware of since the 1970s and destroys marine habitats. The state of Florida needs to start buying up uh, devastated property and designate them as state parkland and establish mangroves all along the coast to protect the coastline.
0: That is absolutely correct and is something that absolutely should happen. But good luck with that because Florida wants all that coastal tax revenue that comes from billionaires living on the beachfront, hotels, condos, tourism, etc. There's got to be a way to do it and um, nature is probably going to solve that problem for Florida before they'll agree to do anything about it. Whether
2: they like it or not. Finally, from Don S., subject, indictment. Where's the goddamn indictment? Now's the time. Yesterday or today. Treason. Don S. I think... I think he's talking about Donald Trump there. I'm (laughs) not sure. Anyway, calm, calm down. Just calm down, Don. Do keep in mind the 2022 election is still ongoing with next month's runoffs in Georgia, which means the Department of Justice and the Fulton County Georgia District Attorney may may still be in their 60 day sort of pause period before elections in which, Their guidelines prohibit any overt actions in criminal cases that might affect elections one way or another. So just FYI, that could still be going on. You can send me that uh, angry letter on December 7, I guess. But until then, we don't know. Beyond that, though, Don, I do have good news for you. I hope to be talking about exactly that sort of thing. And related on tomorrow's broadcast, if the radio gods are with us, with Mueller, she wrote's Allison Gill, sometimes known as A.G., and I do hope you will join us for it. Yes. Until then, my thanks. It should be fun. It should be. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, I know. Well, we got to get caught. We haven't been talking about Donald Trump and all of his crimes for a bunch of weeks during the election, so we're going to try to get caught back up Before the holidays. All right. Anyway, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, and my guest today, the great Heather Digby-Parton of Salon, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download all of them going back 15, 20 years. Who knows now? For free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by you and only you. Yes, those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us stay on your public airwaves. You too can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on both the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad blog. We'll see you there till we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world.